Hey, everybody. It's uh, Paul here from Film Network Ireland, FNI Rap Chat, on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh, yeah, we're, we're on the Headstuff Podcast Network, and that's amazing. And you know what else is amazing? There's another film and TV podcast called I Know That Face, which is hosted by Andrew Carroll and Stephen Portio. And it focuses on all those faces that you recognize, but you don't know their names in film and TV. Uh, yeah, listen to it. It's amazing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Character actor is a supporting actor who specializes in playing unusual, interesting, or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performers are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons, and they often disappear into each role. So you might know the faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you keep subscribed for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, cinephiles. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network, brought to you by Wildcard Distribution, Film Equipment Store, and uh, a new sponsor, Octavid.com. Check out Octavid.com for all your video needs. Uh, and we're really excited at FNI because lots of really interesting, exciting things are happening, which we're over the moon about. Um, if you haven't already, head on over to our website, www.weare.com fni.com because we have lots of free classes coming up over the next couple of months which are funded by Screen Skills Ireland and it's all very 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 exciting there's something there for screenwriters right across the department so check it out head on over again to www.wearefni.com and if you'd like to support this podcast or Film Network Ireland in general terms head on over to www.buymeacoffee dot uh, com forward slash FNI. Today, today um, is one of those lovely rare occasions where we get somebody who is very highly regarded and kind of name whose name pops up on a regular basis on the podcast, and it's it's one of those kind of um, Kaiser Soze, but minus the murder, murdering and, <laughs> and, the, and the limp and the limp, uh, uh, very highly regarded. Uh, film, uh, TV, and uh, music video and ad editor, uh, Tony Kearns. Uh, for those of you who don't know Tony, Tony is a BAFTA-nominated film uh, editor who's worked on some of your more uh, interesting cinematic and uh, TV experiences and nef- Netflix binges over the last while, including Black Mirror, uh, The End of the Fucking World. I can say that because it's, it's, a, it's a podcast, not a radio okay, We're all adults here, yeah. And we're all friends here. Uh, and he's, uh, Tony's also worked on Cardboard Gangsters and numerous music videos uh, over the last 20 years uh, of some of your favorite bands. Tony Kearns, the Colonel. At your service. How uh, are you? Report, How are you? Reporting for duty. Yeah. <laughs> At ease. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, no, I'm having a good day. The weather's nice. And 
I'm delighted to be here. I'm honoured, and uh, thank you for for asking me on. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's our pleasure, really. Um, we might just kind of go way back uh, in an Eamon Andrews style, uh, and ask you kind of when when did you know that when did film force make an impact on your life? Well, I've always been interested in uh, film history. Um, as a kid, I, used to, I, I instead of going to the cinema. Um, I'd read about them. I'd read about films that were on, and I'd, uh, and I'd occasionally, you know, you know, I'd see them, and I'd see most of these films on TV, yeah. uh, classic films. So I always had uh, a grow for uh, classic Hollywood films. And then uh, I had no real idea about the practical, technical aspect of how they were made. I, I read, when I got in my late teens, I subscribed to a film history magazine. So I'd read essays about different uh, films and um, different make uh, directors and genres. And so I was kind of maybe leaning more towards the academic side of it. Then uh, I got a place in possibly one of the first media studies courses in Ireland, which uh, was run by the College of Marketing and Design uh, in uh, the very early 80s. And uh, I resigned from my civil service job which <laughs> my parents and uh, were very upset because they were, you know, obviously concerned about me losing the pension. Um, but I was not, you know, nineteen, and um, and I went on this course and kind of I just came across the idea, the actual practical idea of editing, and it really hit me quite uh, hard in a good way yeah. about this, uh, the way you edit, that editing can tell stories and change change things and um, I mean it's very basic stuff but still it was a it was a kind of an it was an epiphanic moment and I well I even now many years later while I'm working I try and think about that buzz yeah. that I ha experienced that that kind of j j jolt of kind of adrenaline creative adrenaline that I felt um, now obviously I can't do that every day because I'd be I'd be as high as a kite but <laughs> just to sort of keep in keep it in perspective but that's yeah, yeah. that's when I kind of I felt this could be something that I could get into. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I kind of, it, 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 it uh, took off from there. I mean, gradually, of course. You know. Quite literally a bitten by the bug. Type yeah, of yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just didn't know. It. I, 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 knew, I knew the idea. I'd heard of editing yeah, yeah. as a term. <laughs> Somebody has to do so, it. But yeah, but <laughs> not, I knew that. I knew, what I, I knew about it, but I didn't necessarily know what it was. How it worked uh, at that moment, that course gave me the an ins, uh, uh, a dim insight, in a way, you know, not the full revelation, but because that comes with time and experience, but uh, just a sense of well, this is what it's about in terms of juxtaposing, putting shots together, and building a story or telling something, creating something else from the shots that, on their own, have one effect, and put together, they have a whole new effect. It's simply as simple as that. That that sort of revelation really, really has stuck with me, and I've kind of I've kept that in my memory banks just to to keep a sense of sense of perspective, where, sense of perspective, and also where it came from in my head. Yeah, because I'm sure there, you know, especially when you're staring down a new project, and it's I use this as an example, but that incredible job that you did on Bandersnatch recently. But you, you know, when something is 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 pushing the boundaries of something, but. Pre a job like that as it comes in, 
I'd imagine it, it's quite intimidating, even for someone of your experience, to go, okay, how are we going to negotiate this? And do you have to remind yourself at that point? Sure, no, no I think it, 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 there's, there's a couple of things there. One is, it's just to keep your feet, I keep that in mind, to keep my, my feet in the ground. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, Bandersnatch, uh, I wasn't intimidated, I was terrified. Um, <laughs> because... This is, and it's, but in turn, it's a very, it was a very unusual project, and um, and it was on on a had a, it was something that none of us had ever done before in terms of making an interactive mm-hmm. piece, a film of that complexity, or even any sort. Um, but also, I think for me, it's important that I, if I can, I start a job where I feel some fear. That there's some there's a challenge, and that it has because that keeps it interesting and it keeps you on your toes and it stops you you know it stops you from being uh, complacent. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I'm I'm carrying in the corner whimpering like a pup, but it's just that there's it's a deep breath get then get stuck in and then you know um, be concerned no don't you know to make sure that you're doing the the best job you can but there. It has to have some to keep, keep it exciting, to keep it interesting. There has to be some level of that. It's uh, something that it's it's a challenge. It's a big challenge, and that of course creates the sense, the human sense of uh, impending doom, <laughs> potential. <laughs> well, that you know, it often comes up on this podcast about kind of imposter syndrome. It's something that doesn't go away. It's just about kind of throwing yourself a swimming ring once, yeah, once yeah. you get in. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I suppose. I often say, like, you know, uh, well, I haven't been found out yet, but that's a kind of a joking way of... I don't... You know, imposter syndrome is is fine, but I, I, I don't have it, if you know... And I don't... Not sounding arrogant, I just think... I, I think it helps me be... Uh, enjoy my job. And, but at the same time, it, it, you can't be complacent because, uh, first of all, you might you end up maybe making mistakes and uh, bigger mistakes than you would normally make. And uh, also that I think it just becomes boring, a little less challenging and a little more, if you, if you start coasting and feeling, you know, you're, you're resting on your laurels and it's all, you know, it becomes, for me, less interesting. And I think each project you do that's a challenge, that has some thing that, and then, you know, uh, you hope that people will respond to when it's out there, leads on to other similar projects. Which, um, which then have a benefit of maintaining the excitement, maintaining the buzz, maintaining the, that that adrenaline of storytelling, being offered, being offered uh, opportunities to engage with really interesting stories that uh, come from really well written scripts, that that are uh, to do something that's just you know that bit more singular. You know, um, so that's that'd be my 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 attitude. So, uh, am I right in assuming that you kind of worked your way up things? You didn't find yourself just editing Netflix and TV like in in the early eighties. Thirty year overnight success. You mean? You no, know, yeah, it's yeah. Um, no, no, because it's I've had actually an unusual route into um, a lot of things um, <clears throat> into TV drama, particularly mm-hmm. in that I started out. Uh, I didn't start. I started out as a runner in a post-production company that was all videotape, and it was when I, when I started, 
It was a one inch reel to reel and two inch reel to reel tape. Um, and I became a trainee tape operator and then I went on to being an assistant editor, but it was all on tape. I never, I've never cut on film. And people obviously look at, look at me, I mean, my, my, my vintage and say they find that surprising. But that was, so that was that route. And then the company I was working for and assisting, I was assisting a couple of editors who were, pre, were at the forefront of music video editing mm -hmm. at the time. And at that time, there was tons of money in music videos. And, and they, they were like editing in expensive edit, cutting rooms that were, you know, 300 pounds an hour at the, even then in the, in the mid 80s. So I got to see a lot of, meet a lot of people involved in music video. So I then, in 1980, sorry, 1989, <laughs> I became a freelance editor and I started out working for, directly for record companies and for music video production companies. And so I, from between 89 and 2005, I was almost exclusively editing music videos. Yeah. And then moved into music videos and commercials, and then into doing, you know, the occasional short film. As people I've worked with and developed relationships were getting kind of funding to do short films. So, um, and then 2000, 2009, I kind, of, I kind of moved back. I was back and forth between London and Dublin for many years. Um, and I then kind of made a decision to be based more in Dublin. Um, around 2009, sold my flat in London, and then got, got into doing long-form uh, projects, starting with Charlie Casanova, which I did as a kind of pro bono to get going, and that then kick-started doing you know, TV movies and feature films. And I was working on commercials in Dublin with the occasional one in London. So, and then 2000, 2017, I was contacted and asked would I be interested in editing a Black Mirror episode. Which you torn down. I said, I'll think about it. <laughs> and then I thought about it for one microsecond and I said, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I had no idea where it came from um, because I had been thinking, I would love to That's get into That's the one with the robotic, robotic dog. Battlehead, it? yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, the black and white one with um, Maxine Peake. Yeah. It's an incredible um, piece of acting and, and directing. Now, th the key was, I didn't know it at the time because I just got a contact because I'd been thinking about how am I going to get, I'd love to get into TV drama. But we've been, it's a bit of a, you know, in traditionally, I mean, the case is most people involved in TV drama in the UK, particularly. I mean, I imagine it might be the same elsewhere. Have people who have that's the area they've been in all the time, right from the start. They kind of work their way up generally. So I was thinking, I don't know anybody in it. I don't know out of contact. So then I get this email out of like it's almost like a gift from heaven, and it turns out that the director uh, was David Slade. And he was, he's a director I've worked with a lot on music videos and commercials, and we were very good friends. And he'd moved to the States, and he directed Hard Candy and 30 Days a Night and uh, Twilight Eclipse, as well as episodes of Breaking Bad, Hannibal, and American Gods. So he, he was offered this, and he say, insisted that I would do it. And they had no idea who it was. And, he, and thankfully, I'm very so grateful to David, he persuaded them to take me on. And uh, and I, I, as I always say to, say to people, um, you know, I consider consider myself fortunate in a sense, but part of that is making the most of the break you get. So the 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 based on our work, um, 
on Metalhead, then that developed a very fruitful relationship with the showrunners and writers of Black Mirror. Because I think myself and David came at it from a non-traditional institutionalized British TV drama approach. We basically cut the crap. You know, we went, just went worked like we were working on a music video. Is it very much a case of knowing, look, we all know the rules. You know, in, in order to break the rules, you have to know, you have to know the scenario. Actually, no, funnily enough, we didn't know the rules. And <laughs> we, we just did what we did. And that, I think, without being told this directly, this is an only conjecture on my part, yeah. it was seen as refreshing. Um, and I think we basically, because we attacked it like a music video, we, we you know, we, we just went for it. I, I worked, we worked for 30 days without a break um, and turned it over. Partly David, David lives in America and he just, he just had a baby boy. So his wife was saying, if you don't come home, I'll divorce you. But um, she, no, not quite like that. But anyway, so he was under pressure. But I thought, well, let's just, you know, we do this and we'll just go for it and interpret it. And I know David very, very well. And David really wanted me involved, be involved because he knew intuitively that I'd look at his footage and I'd, would get what he wanted. You had an assembly done in your head, essentially. Well, no, I'd look at, I'd, yeah, I'd look at it and I'd go, I know what that's about, I know what this is about, I know what that's about. And I think, and I know, I mean, obviously there was, we had, we, 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 there was things we changed and it wasn't that I got everything exactly right, but it was in, he, he trusted and he knew that I would get straight away into a place that would um, work and would work for him. And he's a very, he's an amazingly creative and distinctive individual that has, had problems with people understanding what he's about right. visually mm -hmm. and so uh, it's very so and I think that kind of our combination of the two of us and being able to do that impressed um, and also that you know um, I love cutting for CGI oh okay and I love imagining what's going to happen I think and one of the greatest uh, compliments I've read about Metalhead was Somebody saying, "Isn't it great to see people using practical robotics instead of CGI?" Uh, uh, <laughs> those frames were empty. So you, and, you, you and, basically and edited like a spot the ball episode. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, spot the robot dog. Um, yeah, no, no, it, and I really enjoy doing that. It's kind of it may sound I enjoyed the challenge of being able to cut a scene so that it's tight, and it doesn't it, when the when the animation's in, it feels real. The cutting choices are about the movement that you haven't seen, that I haven't seen yet, but I'm 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 imagining. Would you consider yourself? I'd imagine your time and, and musicality is on point as well. Would you have to be? Would you need to have a musical ear for the type of work that you do? do I think all editors have sense? to have have a, a sense of rhythm. Mm -hmm. I good, you know, the, the, you need the rhythm is inherent in uh, flowing storytelling, editing in any sort and any genre that. That it's so there's a there's a count you can do, um, you can feel that you can feel a rhythm. Um, if you you know analyze it from that point of view, I think every every editor has has a musicality in yeah. in them, even though they may not play an instrument or uh, you know uh, whatever. But they and quite a lot of them are music obsessives yeah. and they play they play music um, and uh, somebody well, almost a, like iambic pentameter. To a degree, you know. Well, yeah, but it's like any, any, anything that works that the human sensory perception has rhythm. Acting, rhythm, and speech, poetry, mm -hmm. a painting can have rhythm. It has balance. There's balances that are 
pleasing and you can use those to make things that jar but jar in a good way that are is a, is, is a understood or misunderstood in a good way mm -hmm. so i think that um i had a very quick story about um uh, i was editing a music video for radiohead for a song called just yeah. and the it, it had two elements one was a story um, and drama like a narrative film narrative and then the other was the band performing so I basically did the edit without the music of the of this film story because I didn't want to be dictated to where to put the cuts by the music, by the chords and by the crescendos. They were, they were cross cut though, right? They were eventually, but my, for, when I was cutting the the the, the, the separate narrative, mm. uh, I cut it mute because I didn't want to be dictated by the music. I just want to feel it, and this is I didn't. This is nineteen hundred ninety five, so. Quite long. I wasn't. I had. I had very little experience in narrative cutting, but I just felt instinctively that I wanted to try this. And then, so when I got had a, did a cut, and I was very, and you went through a few phases, uh, a few drafts. I then dropped it onto the track, and it was so exciting seeing it, without me predicting it, hitting points. Yeah, hitting, hitting things, and it had rhythm because I had it had a rhythm, I had a flow. It worked with the music already. Generally, eighty percent. And there was very little to sort of tweak. And that then helped me to then place it with, when, with the band performance right. in terms of where it went, went where, where the music would start. You, do you know, do you yeah, know yeah, yeah. things like that? But it was a great, it was really, I felt, again, it was another epiphany. It's like, you know, it's like a slightly lesser epiphanic moment, but it, it, it's sort of sense that uh, you can, editing has rhythm mm -hmm. and it can hit points. So you can, in, in a music track, so you could almost lay anything down and it would work yeah. if it's if it's well cut you know or has that that its own rhythm okay. so that's that that'd be um so yeah. that'd be the same information coming back to metalhead was what i think struck the showrunners was that it was already had this essence mm -hmm. at a very early stage and they weren't used to seeing that they also and also if i may say you know normally uh there'd be lots of notes from charlie brooker who's the writer and Showrunner and Annabelle Jones, the other showrunner, and then from Netflix, Metalhead had one note from Netflix. What was that? Make there was one shot they just wanted to make maybe a second or two shorter, and that was it. Right. So. And yeah, and you were like, yeah, and I'm sure the director was like, well, this never happens. Well, they were all <laughs> they didn't quite say it, but maybe it was beginner's luck because there was loads of notes and Bandersnatch, and uh, <laughs> the other was Rachel, Jack, and Ashley too. But no, it still it was still it was it's, I think. You know, it was it worked really well. So that was a, that was fantastic. Yeah. Based on your experience now, having cut you know music videos, films, and and now your foray into TV over the last few years, are there any differences, marked differences between working workflows and working that way? Uh, well, yeah, there's an obvious. Um, it's you know, the obvious thing is that films and are bigger bigger projects than music videos, yeah. so they take less time. And um, also, then TV series are longer again. If you're working on, like for instance, I'm about to start on a TV series that's four one-hour episodes, so that's six months' work at least. So, <clears throat> so that's one fundamental difference. There's a, the other thing is obviously is there's more to manage. On a music video, you're generally cutting pictures over the track, whereas with with uh, drama. You're involved with dialogue, with scene structures, with uh, sound effects, temp music. There's a lot more 
extra stuff that's uh, which I love doing anyway. Uh, and with the, with the state of music videos now, is yeah, you won't get paid when you work in a music video, or you get paid buttons. Yeah. So that's why, in, in a sense, I haven't done one for a long time because mm. I don't have a trust fund. <laughs> and you're not made of money. And it not. doesn't grow on trees. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, so how, like, in terms of collaborations that you've had, you seem to be developing uh, collaborations with filmmakers now. Where you have done over the years. Um, number one, how important is it to be a nice person in what you do as a result of that? And do you believe that um, success is not, in your case, it was that Steven Spielberg phone call that people often talk about, you know, someone calling you up from the past or someone hearing your work and going, you'd be perfect for this. But how, do you, how important is it to be a, a nice professional person in order to get from that point to what de what people deem to be success? Well, I mean... Find nice, what's good or bad, right? Well, no, 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 I think, no, I think, I know what you're, you're asking, and I think, it, to me, it's self-evident. I think you should go through the world being a good person, being a nice person, being a considerate person, mm -hmm. uh, and, but not being a mug, not being a doormat yeah. as well. And I think it's a combination of steel and chocolate, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? It's, um, that you, you know, and I, I've, I've always been. I've used to. I remember when I was an assistant, and I'd walk. I'd be in. I used to marvel at people who are uh, coming in, directors, producers, um, and they'd be under a lot of pressure, big, big money jobs, and they'd be as um, relaxed, friendly chatty can and consider it and think you know but uh, you know talk to you as if you're you know as a real person rather than the assistant and um and i just said i said to myself like whatever way i turn out i want to be i'm going to be like those guys those people those men and women who would have that time in the pressure to be human beings but at the same time not being not wasting time you know um and then there was other people who were complete arseholes and i found over time that the arseholes didn't last because um, people, you know, unless they became they became promoted to areas that were outside of our circle, you know, certain areas of the economy seem to, you know, they seem to attract sociopaths and psychopaths and selfish people. But uh, there's that. Also, I mean, the simple principle that when you're when you're climbing the ladder, be nice to people because you don't want to be booted in the arse when you're slipping down it, you know. And it's also about build, building up, you know, you build up a relationship of trust. Um, and uh, so by being considerate, being thoughtful, being, um, being making the experience a pleasant, as much as it can be, a pleasant experience when you're in the edit room, when I'm cutting with people, that just helps people and helps everybody. Yeah, being of service to others. Yeah, yeah, but, it, but it's service and it's, but all, you know, that, it's not that you're, I, I've seen editors, there's a collective noun for editors, which is a whinge of editors. And uh, I remember, like last year, I was in, in a cutting room in, in Soho, and a fellow beside me, and the walls weren't very thick, which is a bit odd for sound-based editing. But, uh, you know, uh, anyway. And I could just hear moan, moan, moan about this, about that. But why didn't he do his job properly? He needs to do like this. And I was thinking, you're just, whoever you're speaking to is really having a bad day now, right? <laughs> you, and, yeah, you've just spoiled their day. You, you, and, and you're not really impressing anybody. 
and you're actually kind of putting people off so that your maybe your immediate future is a bit now because suddenly become compromised. So my view is that it's you know I like I like having the crack. I like telling jokes. Mm-hmm. I like telling jokes while changing something and then showing them while they're laughing that the change and it's much better. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, just so it becomes it's a pleasant experience, but it's a it's a work's being done. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, if I may say this, I'm a very lucky, fortunate man because I do what I love. So a lot of the time, even though I do long hours and certain projects are like that, but it doesn't feel like work. No, a lot of the time. It's true what they say fortunate. though, isn't it? Though that you know, find a job you love. It's cliched, but it is true, isn't it? Yeah. And I, and I nicer have... people are generally speaking people who took a risk and tried to do, or do do with their lives, or at least pursue what they're supposed to do with their lives. So therefore... If, yeah, I mean, if you're lucky enough to find that, yeah. find it, then yeah, that's, it makes things a lot, you know, so much better. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like a, for me, it's like a vocation as much as a profession. Yeah. Not, you know, not, much, not that I'm preaching in corners about, three corners about it. Uh, stuff, but it's yeah, just, and you don't bounce out of bed. I'm sure every day, you know, in great form. But you know, every single day, maybe a lot of days. Um, let me just ask you. Uh, Excuse me. Let me ask you about some of the music videos that you've done. What is your favourite music video you've worked on, and why? <laughs> um, well, my favourite music video, <coughs> excuse me, is um, I suppose that, I mean I have some. There's a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'll give a, a num if I if I can be. Can you separate the music from the work on the video? Well, I think the best crack I had, the most interesting crack I had was uh, on a video for a, a duo called Sheep on Drugs for a, a song called Let the Good Times Roll. Because that was, I, I love watching that video because it's, it, they're two of them were absolute bonkers. Right. And uh, they were just, you know, bag of high, high strength lagers, cans of high strength lager first thing in the morning with them. I wasn't drinking, but... I did have a talk with some skunk they had, and I had to lie down for an hour. <laughs> and that, that's, a, that's a personal favorite yeah. in the sense of the experience. And just it's a just nuts video. So, if, if, you know, obviously it's the band called Sheep on Drugs. The guy, is, he's now a tattooist. He calls himself Duncan X, the main guy. Right. And uh, he always referred to his fans as Panta. Panta <laughs> will like this. <laughs> Panta will be very pleased with this, and so you know it was very. That was that was that was. It sounds was like fun. an episode of the Young Ones. It's kind of the, the Young Ones mixed with, um, uh, I don't know, um, spaced and a bit of uh, a bit just slightly, slight, slightly uh, kind of black mirror tinge as well. Especially when he was talking about how much drugs he has put through his body. Uh, he had, he told he, Duncan told me a story about his dad was medical supplier he had a business supplying high quality medicine and he he was his he had a job going installing it in the operating theaters and he used to basically tell him it would take two hours longer than it should have done so he could inject himself with high-grade morphine yeah so stuff like that so that was where that was where it got a bit like who were but in terms of i mean it has to be i imagine i think the two of them are um two of the fire starter prodigies fire starter uh because that really did so much. It was a real phenomenon. And I think it still holds up. Um, yeah. And Radiohead, the Just video, which is the bloke lying on the ground and people asking him why he's doing that. Because that was, that again had a mass, had an impact, it had a big impact uh, and has a cultural value that uh, was, I was, you know, and it was a real 
uh, challenge. It was a, just a different thing. I remember when I read the script, I I felt my you know body tingling with excitement about it, um, about this this idea. Jamie Trey was the director and wrote the script, and it was just such an amazing idea that, and it was Radiohead as well, because you know certain ideas would it wouldn't have worked with Westlife or East Seventeen. Obvious for obvious reasons, but Radiohead was a perfect fit because they're, they have, you know, their music and their sensibility and is so uh, highly cultured and intelligent. So is it is it more is it intimidating more intimidating to work with a band like Radiohead who are known to be intellectuals? And no, I, I have to be honest with you. It was more of a challenge to work with um, E17 because mm. they were fuckwits. But uh, they, um, <laughs> sorry John, sorry Terry, sorry you know. Boys, um, but you know it, that's that that's because I, my engagement would be, it, you know, engage, being engaged with that that standard yeah. was exciting. I mean, not that I, I'm not cocky. It of wasn't, course. you know, you you would you would know you're up, you're you, you'd have to be play play your top game, but that's why it's exciting. Is is and also I just I knew Jamie. I knew you know I just knew it was perfect and it was it was achievable. And it was, in a, in a sense, I suppose when you're younger as well, sometimes when you're, I feel that I was just almost like kind of, we all were, we didn't realize what we were doing fully, the impact, uh, because we're just doing it, we were there. Um, and uh, we're all, you know, my friends who were directors, producers, and doing, th getting these jobs, and like, you know, go video for town, you know, I think it'd be a nice one. And you go, right, when, you know, and then, you know, and, be, and it'd, be, it'd be that sort of, Almost like the arrogance of or the blaseness of uh, younger people, and then it's only it's only, it was only when it starts to fade and people moved drifted away that the people went on to do other things, and uh, it got taken over by a younger cohort, and the internet came along and made things more, it made things different, and that we kind of realised maybe there was a body of work there, and we were part of it, but at the time it was. Kind of, you know, that that just that we were immersed in that that scene, man. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I like I hate to use uh, the Beatles as an example, but you know, when the Beatles were doing some of their seminal albums, they were thinking they were up to Mozart esque, you know, endeavors. You know, it's very much in the eye of the storm of. Brilliance. Mm. You're in the middle of it, so like you're experiencing what you're experiencing. So it's incredible. Um, I'll just ask you: just do you you're, you're still open to kind of cutting shorts and stuff like that as well? You're creatively led by by Enos. Are you, or are you like, are, are, do you have a roadmap now and go right? Okay, well, I only want to do TV. <clears throat> I only want to do. Never say never say I only want to do anything. I I, I mean <laughs> I I actually I mean. Uh, I I don't have plans. Uh, I have aspirations. Uh, like I said, um, you know, uh, th three years ago, three and a half years ago, I was I had a strong aspiration about you know get getting involved in TV drama. So, but I you know there's not, I've, I I and it does sound like a kind of I don't know how it's going to sound to your listeners, but I've kind of landed in places and. Uh, got into position, you know, it's all based on what you've done before, the experience, but, and the people you've worked with before, and how things can uh, coalesce, even from a long time back, that it comes back to being a, 
you know, good person, a nice person, a professional person, a trustworthy person, that you could get a call down the line and something could be offered. I'm always, um, I've always had the view that I want to meet young uh, people who are, have a great, uh, interesting ideas and creative ideas and a budget. Uh, that um, that you know, it's achieved to something that's achievable. Um, so um, I've I've um, catch them young, keep them forever for work. Well, it's not necessarily. It's just that um, I found that. Excuse me, meeting you know, just you meet you can meet people of my generation, and very you know, not many. There's very few that retain the buzz and enthusiasm, um, and the kind of and young and when, like I said earlier, when you're younger, you kind of don't. You think about you. You don't overthink think uh, things because you're just experiencing them, and it's kind of the world is in, is a kind of an exciting place, mm-hmm. and you're whereas you're as you get older, you the risk is that you can become tired of it, yeah. and tired of things, and and world weary, and feel less. So that's that's a great energy to experience. Um, now I've. Um, I've, uh, I suppose I don't think I've ever, myself and my wife, I haven't really necessarily grown up um, uh, in adult terms because we, we haven't had children. And we, so we haven't had that, uh, that kind of experience of rearing kids and changing and becoming res- that degree of responsibility. So in our, our heads, a lot of the time, we're still like when we were 21 or 22 or 23, that about looking at things and being kind of interested in uh, things that... Um, are kind of quirky or interest, interesting and not necessarily, you know, because we don't, we can do that. We don't have to, obviously when, when in our old age, we've nothing to, we've nobody to exploit to look after us, but we'll deal with that when that happens. <laughs> but so that's the, I mean, it's just, it's about, you don't know. Don't grow up. Inter- grow up in a, in, grow up in a, in a fun way. <laughs> um, and right. still keep your, keep your, um, keep your, what you, what you thought about, in your in keeping in the forefront of your mind when you were when you were younger and excited about things and when you discovered things mm-hmm. and when how excited you were about that even though for instance I mean I had an epiphany moment hearing a James James Brown's Sex Machine track. after that I were going to say James Blunt for a second no 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 that's that's rhyming <laughs> slang but anyway they um they uh, <laughs> they um they, uh, they when I heard that first in a nightclub in 1985 in London I was amazed it was blown away I was absolutely and and I'd never heard it before. And then I was looking around at all these people going, these people know this. This is like, this music is so, you know, and then I've, I've that's, that's important to retain that mm. uh, sense of kind of joy at the discovery of uh, something bonkers or mad or exciting. A childlike exploration of, yeah, you or keep an epiphany. Like yeah, you, yeah you, keep, you just try and, you know, avoid being, like t- too cynical. So that's what. So when you're talking about like, is it, a, is it a conscious choice where you have to like mark that in yourself because it creeps into all of us? Well, of course, yeah. Cynicism or pessimism. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not immune. I mean, yeah. I, I just think that's why I've made notes at the time yeah. and I've re- kind of retained it. So if somebody has an idea for a, a, a short, a short, or for a music video, as long as I mean, I I can't afford to work for peanuts. Yes. So mm-hmm. um, and nobody should. Um, I think if you work, you should get paid. Um, and in these difficult times, obviously, that's uh, more, more, even more of an issue. But um, so when there's something that's there that even if it's for, um, like I've edited some videos for Codaline. Now, musically, I would, I think, they're, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, they're not my thing. And they're a bit, they're very, 
middle of the road for me, but Stevie Russell, the director, had he's always had these really strong ideas that somehow elevated this, the the video, made the video into a, and the song working together into a pack a powerful emotional punch. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that was um, that's you know where I'm. Did you do high hopes? Yes. That, yeah, that's one with Liam Cunningham. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah. And that's I mean that's still I watched that and I still the last shot just kills me. Yeah. I'm you know I'm a blubbering wreck. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just have to have a moment. <laughs> Promise <laughs> myself I wouldn't do <laughs> this today. <laughs> <laughs> so you know and it's you know I've done short films. I've done spec ads for spec ads. Don't don't no no. I don't want anybody beating on the door. But it's only when somebody comes along and say presents an idea that just goes. I get that tingle. Um, and uh, so that then you know it's led to relationships with uh, younger directors and also people like David Slade and other people that I can work with. I'm working with new people all a lot all the time, you know, all the time. So as well. So it's 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 uh, I'm not ex like for instance I've just been working on a TV commercial and then I'm doing um a uh, this series and then next year when hopefully I'm uh, I'm on you know on it till the end till uh, middle of next year and then it's who knows what happens? Yeah, I, I have no idea. So maybe it's really the end of the fucking world. Then. No, the end. I, as I was saying, <laughs> as I was saying that, just more, more, more politely, in the uh, in London, at the end of the feckin' world. Anyway, um, the uh, <laughs> so anyway, no, no, it's, it's it's there's no. I mean, I've been self-employed for thirty years, and you always have the fear about never getting another gig, and you know, some you know, if it's quiet, there's nothing happening. Uh, you know, none of us are really 100% immune from that. Yeah. And uh, so... That sense of PTSD should never go away. Uh, well, you should, you know, it's, it's, it's a hustle. You should hustle and you should find things and, uh, and just have trust in yourself and have money saved away. Yeah. Don't buy the um, expensive, whatever it is. Get the, you know, save, you know, because you just need, you need, you need money to, to live off financial fumes. Uh, when things could be lean, and like uh, so, it happens that you have I have month, a few months where nothing, no queries come in, or a period, and then other periods where they're all looking for me for at the same time. So that you know, you have to you learn to cope with that. You learn to deal with that. Hmm. Um, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from your work over the years? The one thing. Now I know. You've referenced, you know, the positivity element, and um, you know, having marks to to reference to keep you going in terms of uh, in terms of uh, keeping perspective. But uh, was there any single specific experience that stuck with you in that, in that regard? I sp I suppose the there isn't a single experience, but there's a common one, which is. Uh, ben, it's basically uh, that you kind of have to deal with the 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 dark the the dark hours before the dawn when you're if you're in a high pressure project and you're thinking of all the things that could go wrong and that don't. Mm -hmm. So I've I have to basically learn, and I still have that. I can't, you know, it's it's, it's I think it's a human trait to be to think the worst, disaster thinking. So I've just learned to cope with that and to, instead of sitting and whimpering or lying, whimpering under the duvet, do something about it. Uh, and that comes down to trusting yourself, pacing yourself and um, 
being and being professional and deliver um, and making sure I, I mean my overall thing is that as an editor you're not the end of the process as an offline editor or you know the, doing the cut you're part of a part of a relay race and that everybody's worked their butt off before to make sure your job is easier and then your job is to work your butt off to make it the process easier uh, and the next stage easier for the next people. So you're passing the baton. So when you pass the baton in a relay race, you have to pass it as smoothly as possible, so it's not dropped, and they can, then they can can it can continue. Yeah, yeah. So you're not you're not an island. You're not in a, you're part of a process. Um, so be really fucking good, but be really fucking considerate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, be professional, considerate, um, and. You know, obviously avoid having any debilitating um, substance issues and uh, alcohol problems, uh, divorces. And uh, actually, uh, uh, I, w I remember doing one job where the, the person I was working with was going through a particularly messy divorce. And that was, I thought they were sighing and groaning because I was what I was doing, but it was actually, it was what they were, they were dealing with. Um, but it was, um, it was, uh, so yeah, just all those things. And, and it's, it helps to have all, be, keep your head together and keep, Keep keep a positive outlook mm -hmm. to be able to then enjoy and deliver and actually avoid whatever you were thinking might be the disaster because it just um, it does generally it turns out fine. Mm -hmm. um, and you put the other the the other thing I suppose is it's a, I think it's a it can be seen as a positive thing because for me it's about how much I care about what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. I can't say. If any, if I say start saying, I sure it'll be grand, I'm finished, as it you know because it isn't. It's never grand isn't good enough. It has to be amazing, or you know, it has to be knock people's socks off as much as you can, um, or blow people's socks off. Anyway, so um, the it's so that's what I kind of would get be thinking over my head is like trying to plan and then maybe I might overreach it. And then I have these scenarios where I'm dreaming scenes that haven't been shot and they're really difficult to cut. And then actually, uh, lately I've been, I've actually been realizing that I'm having this recurring scene that's a really difficult scene that's really impossible to cut that doesn't exist. And I'm actually telling myself in the dream, stop it. <laughs> this is, doesn't exist. It hasn't been shot. Let no, them, we let haven't. Let them do their job. There isn't a scene with, with everybody, the whole cast in Chelsea pensioner uniforms. It's, it's... Uh, Oh, right. it's, yeah, yeah. It's like you know. So this—that's what happens, I suppose, with pressure, and so it's learning to deal with that. Uh, you obviously you're very good at dealing with pressurized environments through experience, by the looks of it. Um, is there a difference? Now I know a room is a room is a room where you're editing, but is there a difference when you're working in the UK and when you're working in Ireland? Um, for me, no, not really. I mean, I because I've had. Uh, people on projects I've worked on, the people have been from different backgrounds. Some of them from the UK, some of them from uh, from Ireland, uh, some from America. So there's a kind of commonality. There's a kind of a common ground in terms of approaching uh, and assessing and dealing, and making notes and dealing with feedback and working with people. I think it's, in a sense, for for me, I've benefit benefited from having worked a huge amount in the UK that. I'm, it doesn't, when I'm working with people in the UK, in London, uh, it doesn't, I don't notice 
that much of a difference because I'm I know understand the cultural differences, uh, the the way of presenting themselves and the way to do things. But I think there's a general there's a general commonality that's more than differences in 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 um, in, in that I've experienced. Yeah. Um, I think if you're totally utterly completely used to working in editing in in Ireland, it might be it'd be more uh, uh, obvious, perhaps. I think, but I would I don't know because I uh, that's not my experience. Yeah, I wasn't leading you to a, a you know Irish editing rooms or more or more crack <laughs> or anything. Oh, is like that, that what you wanted me to no, say? No, Sorry, no, 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 I, I, no not at all. Shit. I just wanted to I, to be honest. If anything, I, I think it's more helpful for people to know that there's a commonality and a professional room is a professional room. Yeah, you know, to work in. Well, there's less, there's less, I suppose, to be less banter, there'd be less kind of, but in terms of Irish people speaking to each other, there's, there's that, but, yeah. um, no, I think, I mean, I've, I always try and make the room as fun and as pleasant as it, without being, being, you know, complete, you know, being flippant or yeah. facetious, so that, you know, this is, we think, we think about this, we work this problem out, then we have a bit of, a, if we have a chat and we enjoy the, you know, because for me, personally, and I'm sure it's the same for most people, except that whinging editor I told you about earlier. <laughs> Your mate. No, he's not my mate. <laughs> I don't know who the, he, I don't even know his name. But anyway, I've avoided like the place. What I wouldn't give to get him in a room with yeah. no windows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, hang on. Um, uh, hang on. Uh, anyway, the, um, that it's, you know, it's, I, I want to, you know, I, I think everyone should, should work hard but enjoy themselves. And that's yeah. my role, as and I can do it in a sense because I'm Irish and people really like the fact that you know it's just Irish people are better at being kind of puncturing things in a good way yeah. and and taking the Mickey in it. But you have to be careful, obviously. Um, um, but all, you know, just kind of making it um, a so taking the pressure off while still being focused and professional. A lot of times I'd say things like, "Ah, sure, it's only for you know, it's only for putting on the telly. So what's the problem? Like this, <laughs> like this, and they'd look at me and they'd you know, go, oh yeah, I'm you know, laugh or whatever.' But sure, it's only for looking at the truth in that. Is as well, right? There is, yeah, but that's what you're doing. You're, in the same, if you're trying to be analysed, it is is just to kind of keep a sense, take the pressure off by, uh, uh, you know, reducing it a little, taking uh, slagging a little, yeah. you know. Being seeing well, actually seeing pointing out what a, a slightly absurd angle on it would be. So, yeah. do you think it's benefited you being Irish? I think, in a lot of respects, uh, yes. I think most respects it hasn't made a blind bit of difference right. either. Um, I feel that I'm when I communicate with people in my job in outside of Ireland. Uh, it's they're listening to what I'm saying, not how I'm saying it, and uh, they're looking at my track record. And when I was uh, doing music videos, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Uh, damn. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there wasn't. There was actually no. Uh, the only reference I came to for the Irish angle was a director a friend of mine who was a very careful, considered individual. And it was just when, when Father Ted had first come out. Okay. And he said, he actually asked me, he said, Tony, is it okay to laugh at that? Because, you know, anti-Irish humor and stuff like, is that is it okay to laugh at Father Ted? 
because he was had, he didn't want to make a mistake and think he was he was anti-Irish. Yeah, yeah. And I said I said to him, uh, I sh- well I said no, of course you can laugh at it. It's really funny. And actually, it's um, I told him that it was actually a reality show, and they just <laughs> added a laugh track because people couldn't get it. And yeah. he, 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 I, I then told him it wasn't. But anyway, for a minute I, I had him, I had him, I had him. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it, it's generally, um, occasionally some people might go top of the morning here, yeah. and I just go fuck off. <laughs> and, <laughs> fuck off. You know. So you know. But that you kind of and it, and I've had people say, oh, I love the Irish accent, and I love you know, and you can yeah. go, you can, you can, you can employ it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to a certain extent, make, make it work. You, you, I think you get away with more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do get away with more because you're, you know. But then I don't. I want to avoid the condescending, cheeky, char, cheeky Irish chappy bollocks as well. So, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are we taking seriously for the work? Um, there's a question, a couple of questions we ask everybody that comes on that I'm just going to finish up with, and then I'll uh, let you go off into that lovely six month. Uh, uh, creative endeavor. <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, have you any advice to people starting out and or you starting out? What would you kind of say about uh, to aspiring editors or yourself? Kind of, you know. If I could, well, I suppose the first thing I would say if I went back in time would be invest in Apple shares. Yeah. But then that's like... <laughs> anyway, um, I... They, I... My my advice is one piece of advice is uh, is to get to know people who are you admire mm-hmm. if you can uh, or either from a distance study their work um, follow up whatever's you know uh, if there's anything available in terms of interviews um, and don't don't be behind just con you know contact people and and you'll hit some people will tell you it might be annoyed but it's just important to pay attention and folk, you know, see who you admire. Yeah. Um, and then trying to, to get to know them. Um, I, if you're starting, you know, an early stage is, is, is putting it simply is keep your eyes open, your mouth shut and your nose clean. Mm-hmm. Um, know when to speak and, and, but, you know, you have to be observant. You're, you're a sponge. Um, and that you should have, obviously have some idea, preconceived ideas, but don't be full of them. Um, because, you know, you don't. You know, you. You. I'm still learning. The stuff. The stuff. Still, there's. There are things. There are very little. Few certainties. Um, and uh, the other thing is, well, is just keep cutting. Cut anything. Do what, stuff. What, just, what do you work on? What do you mean in like, terms? Like software. It's software. Yeah. Uh, it's um, Premiere Pro and Avid. And Avid. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you, you obviously you have to be versed in both, depending on what project comes up, right? Or, oh yeah, well, no, you, learn, you, just, you like, learn you learn to busk in both. You go, oh yeah, I can do that. Hang on a minute, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, you, yeah, you, it's it's a bit of a uh, you have to sort of clear out the drawer, the data clutter. If I like, I uh, I switch from one to the other, and I have to have, you know there's there's re readjustment time because you, you your muscle memory changes, and so. Um, you, you're doing shortcuts on one that actually work on the other, so that's 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 fine. But that's when the jokes come in handy. Hang on a second. Hang on a there. second. Yeah, I meant to do it that. Was this one time. Yeah, thank God for on deal, wasn't it? <laughs> come on, Zed, Jesus. Um, <laughs> the um, so it's it, but you do need need to be very very proficient because you're asked to do a lot an awful lot more um, in both. But it's your eye they're paying for. Good, essentially, isn't it? It's your eye and your timing. Oh yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Of know. course, they're tools. I mean. They're tools to make 
you know, they don't make it, they make it easier in a lot of respects than earlier systems, mm -hmm. but it's the difference between... Imagine sticking all that stuff together so nowadays. I mean, but, you know, if you look at, you look at older films, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be, they'd be cut much more, the, the cutting, the actual physical cutting would be a lot less. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas it doesn't, it's, it's still about where you place the cut yeah. is the key. And it doesn't matter what tool you use. Yeah. It's about uh, how where that cut goes. The instinct, right? Yeah, yeah. The the the, the, the judgment is, as you say, the eye, and also the kind of creativity that you can bring. So the different editors would cut in a different place, but it was, they would work yeah. in different ways. And obviously, there's this, you know, there's certain like music, like uh, writing, etc. Every uh, creative act, there's there are things that are pleasing to the majority that are done. That people do, but it's it, it's how you do what what you do yourself. Then is your own signature. Mm. Um, and I think I mean getting back to like I think it's important to about advice for younger people is the other thing as well is just don't try not to be discouraged. If you want to be, if you feel this, you should just keep at it. And it's it's a lottery. It's tough. It's a, it's a lot of competition, uh, but you just have to keep at I had, I had in my mid 20s crisis I had uh, I had I was like you know and I had, I had to got a I gave myself and I was given by my employer a, a quite in, not insignificant boot up the hole and cop onto yourself yeah. moment and uh, so you you know you, you you think you could think that you you know you're entitled to achieve these things uh, like I got an email from a, a young person in America saying, I love your work on Black Mirror and I ended the feckin' world and I want to be able to do that too. Can you tell me how? And I went, I didn't reply. I was like, because I, you know, I just thought that's, that's a, you're, you're basically that person's, if that's their attitude, they're finished. Yeah. Unless that, they've got, they've got somebody that can bribe. That, you know, that kind of hand, hand me, hand me it now brigade. Yeah. They, yeah. But the thing is, it's not, it's, it's, you just have to have a, I think a specific thing that you want to do might be counterproductive. Mm -hmm. It's a sense of something you, just a general, a big aspiration. Mm -hmm. Say, simple as, I want to work quality work that makes people go, wow. Yeah. And that's it. And that's often just consistency, isn't it, right? Well, consistency breeds success. Well, it, it, it's choosing things because, as well, it's that you don't get stuck in a rut doing things that you're bored with. Yeah. Just to, you know, and obviously it's very tough now. It's tougher than it used to be in terms of the cost of living and rent and etc. But it's actually cheaper in a sense in terms of gear. Yeah. People can shoot and edit anything now, pretty much at a, a broadcast quality off a phone. Yeah. Whereas when I were a kid, we had to. It was boxes and boxes of equipment. And when I was growing up in Barnsley, uh, I had to carry. No, yeah, <laughs> but you understand it was it was really difficult to get our hands on anything. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm not complaining. I think it's amazing, and I think use that availability, that technical availability, to try stuff and experiment, and keep cutting and learn and ask mm -hmm. friends to do stuff and make, try. You know, get paid, but just if if you know people, if you know, get to know directors, get finding people going to. Uh, well, obviously it's a bit more difficult, but maybe log on to talk, to chat, talk panels, mm -hmm. um, and see who's out there, and contact them and say, "Do you want? Is there anything that you need doing? Here's something I've done. 
try and you know and maybe hook up with people you know who you think have have a buzz have yeah. a creativity and then and then but just keep keep at it yeah. and then it's it's just just be be lucky and then when you're lucky make the break have work yeah yeah make it work for you you know because you know i can't i can't it, there's no um there's no exam there's no qualification that you can guarantee anything mm. it's just yourself and your belief self-belief and talent yeah and, and a good good collection of jobs yeah, it's like a, a handbook, a piece, a good collection yeah, yeah, of politi- politically, politically correct jokes. Oh, well, you can do so. You can gauge the room and see how far you can go, but you have to make it look <laughs> feel spontaneous as well. Um, one last question for you. Um, how do you deal with, and I'm sure you've had this over the years, an abundance of scenarios where you're rejected? How does one, how does one in the army deal with a situation like that, uh, Colonel? Well... Uh, I, in a practical level, yes. you dust yourself down, you don't ask why, and you move on. You get out and you, like a good soldier, polish your kit, <laughs> make sure your equipment's working, and just move on. Yeah. Uh, you might find out why, but uh, it's nothing personal, unless you, you know, it's nothing personal. Um, and uh, so that's how you deal with it. Internally, you are allowed to have highly detailed revenge fantasies. <laughs> it's the best answer so far in the last two years. <laughs> Secretly. Yeah, but I think that psychologically will help you. <laughs> uh, as long as you don't actually end up uh, being a sleep revenge fantasy enactor, uh, then you're in deep trouble. <laughs> That's magic. So, um, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's important to be able to deal with the knocks as well as the 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 opportunities yeah it's it's so i put it very simply three words learn to cope learn to cope find a way yeah amazing um so um if you're not familiar with tony's work uh, do your homework especially if you're an editor as tony said himself see what people are doing watch what they're doing learn the tricks uh, you know that they're implementing and, and get yourself some work uh mr kearns Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Thank you, Paul. Congratulations as you slip down the rabbit hole for the next six months. Oh, you <laughs> I'm, um, I'm delighted be- and it's a really good project. Um, uh, it's an excellent project and I'm, 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 I have that lovely, delicious, sc- uh, scaredy feeling as well. So it's good. Lovely. Uh, continued success. Thanks thank for you. your time and all the very best. I, thank you very Thanks. much. Bye. Bye.